Open with me in your copy of the Word of God to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews will be in chapter 8 this morning. All of chapter 8 is our text. It's page 1005 in the Bible provided for you. If you need to borrow that, go ahead. Well, Heritage is and has been, as any good gospel church ought to be, a church that sends a thoroughfare for gospel and gospel workers, those who believe the gospel and gather, and those who scatter each week between Sundays, but then some who take it and go somewhere else. And we have sent the Hansons out years back. A few weeks ago, we, a number of weeks ago at the elders' Q&A, we told you to be in prayer for Abe Stratton and Liz and their family, a dear pastor's family to us. Abe leads us on the platform each Sunday uh, vocally. And the Lord has answered those prayers, as we thought that he might, uh, in an affirmative vote from Bethany Baptist Church in Brevard to invite Abe to come as their lead preaching pastor, for the family to come and join their church. And we are so grateful for that answer to prayer, even as it means we will have to send them out. And it is good for us to have to do the hard thing of saying goodbye. And one day, there won't be any more goodbyes. And ultimately, it's not a final goodbye, of course. It's a goodbye for now, and be on your way with the good news. And it's only an hour away, so it's not that bad anyways. You can do lunch and visit them if you want. We'll have um, a chance to hear a little bit more about uh, uh, these plans and what the Lord has in store for them next week at our family meeting, so be sure to be with us at 4.30 next week. Let's do this together. This isn't a merely transactional relationship that we as a church have with our pastors, but a family relationship, and we mean to have that as we send out this dear couple and family. So now here we are with Hebrews chapter 8. Some of our passages of two and three verses of a time have been hard enough. The book has been at times difficult. We've learned new names like Melchizedek, two whole sermons on a character by a name like that. And the author has even acknowledged that these things are difficult. And growing up is hard and there are growing pains in the Christian life. And maybe one of the growing pains is knowing more of your Bible and growing into the knowledge of God. But of course that growth is always good. But sometimes in a book this long, 13-some chapters, and after a chapter and a half on Melchizedek, it'd be nice if he just told us what he's trying to say, if he would get down to the point already. Well, so he does. Chapter 8, let's read together. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for the priest to have something to offer. Now, if he were, to, if he were on earth, he would be not, a, not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy, a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a better ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. So I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind. I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, 
from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And this is God's word for us this morning. Well, to get myself through and our family through the seminary years, these as graduate school for someone who wants to be a pastor, it's about four years, depending on how you go about it. Um, Abe, Abe did it while he was pastoring here many years, and we prayed for that and celebrated that uh, accomplishment not too long ago. Uh, Christy and I moved to Louisville in 2005. We were there to 2010. And that was my full-time occupation, and I worked full-time in order to devote myself to that. But we were involved as lay people in the church, members faithful like you are, but otherwise working for, much, for many of those years. And for me, it was in cell phone sales. It was a, a higher-paying commission job that would allow us to get through uh, graduate school without debt, and the Lord provided for that. Um, it was also very, very flexible, and usually flexible, to allow me to take the classes that I that I wanted. And I remember uh, entering that line of work. It was for four years or so that I did that. And when I sold my Hyundai Sonata not too long ago, it was on its very last leg, I found in the glove compartment some of these old flashcards from when I... It's like a time capsule, the glove compartment is, for various phases of my life. Um, But one of these things was a little flashcard, a picture of a flip phone with some statistics and what it cost us and what we'd make on all this stuff. Lots and lots of memorization and details, plans, devices, and, and there's all the people interactions that come along with that. Our colleagues, bosses, partners, people in other regions. and There's just a lot that went in with any job, a lot that goes into doing the simple thing of helping somebody with your product and leading them to a sale which is good for you and good for, good for them. And Christy would remember this. I'm afraid it was a bad habit. I second guess whether we should have done it at all. Um, but you know, I would call her throughout the day at times, and we would talk. But the rule was, someone walks in that door, and I hang up on a dime. So we would have these conversations, and it's just over. <laughs> um, I remember after this job was done, uh, I, there might have been an occasion or two where I just hung up because I was caught by something. or I never would have done that in normal circumstances, but had the habit of just dropping it on a dime. And the reason, the reason is, is what was sacred in that job was the door. Two words, the door. So a friendly greeting, availability, not looking distracted, tied up, your mind not somewhere else. They walked in for help, and you're there to help. Uh, Phones are frustrating, confusing. The plans can be. These things change between customer visits. And so we intended to be ready to help. And being ready to help meant watching the door and guarding the door, being jealous about the door. And maybe there are lots of gospel analogies that we could make for what the door is. Certainly we care about the door here. But if you could boil the whole job down, we would put it in two words, the door. You've got to care for the Everything flows to and from the door in that role. That was a nice way to sum up. What's the point of what we're doing? Well, the door. And everyone would just know what you mean. I pulled in this morning, and there's an Amazon Prime truck in the back lot. Did you see that? Is that still there? Maybe he or she came to church this morning. Well, that would be neat. Uh, it reminds me of friends who got through school in those years slinging boxes. It was all about the boxes for UPS. If you're in shipping, it's about moving the boxes, getting them from where they are to where they're supposed to be on time. And that's why we have an Amazon truck in the back lot. Maybe some of your things are in there right now. Now, if you could boil it all down, it comes down to the boxes. Well, what is the point of Christianity? What is the point of Christianity? How might you sum it all up? Is Christianity about real life change? Well, we'd hope so. Is Christianity about a relationship with God? We'd hope so. Is Christianity about True community. We're going to share a communion later this morning, and that's more than your personal communion with God, but 
your communion with your brothers and sisters in covenant in a local church? Is it about true community? Could you have Christianity without the church? Well, I hope that it includes that or is that. Is it about freedom from, from shame and guilt for sin? Well, it seems it has to be about that. Which, which is it? Well, the author of our passage this morning is putting our attention on the new covenant. Look at verse 7 here. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. We'll get into what all this is in a bit. But we see here there's a, there's a prior covenant, now a second covenant. Verse 8, the Lord promises, this is a quote from the prophet Jeremiah, I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Jacob. Verse 10, this is the covenant I will make. Verse 13, and speaking of a new covenant, you get the idea. A theme, if not the theme of this passage, is the new covenant. And in a sense, you could boil Christianity down to that. It's not everything that needs to get said, but everything flows from it. What is the heart of Christianity, the essence of it? What's the point of it? Two words, new covenant. The new covenant. And even reflecting momentarily on those two words, new refers to newness, which implies progression. There's something that comes before it. There was an old covenant, and this is a new covenant the author is speaking to us about. Christianity, Christ comes in the context of a story, and this Bible is not just a book of Wisdom snippets put in order, instructions and wisdom snippets, and spiritual insights and commands put in order by length. Uh, We're praying for those in the Muslim faith, and particularly those among those 2,000 islands in Indonesia, the Riyal Malayu, and so Jason's been dragging a Quran around lately. And he gets this Quran and he reads things to us in various meetings. And I'd be happy if we were all reading the Quran for the purpose of seeing, I'm not afraid of the book at all, of seeing just how distinctive this book is. That book is organized, it's material, it's wisdom, it's insight, it's instruction, it's commands according to snippets, largest to smallest. Gets a little easier to read as you go, that makes sense. I don't even know the history as to how it came together in that way. But I can tell you that it's not a story. This book here is the record, the the God-breathed, inspired record of God's activity in history to create and then to redeem and to send his son and to save. There is a beginning and there is a middle and there is an end. And when we think that it's too long... We might be right, except God wrote it, so we are wrong about that. But isn't it a good thing? It's not just a book pitched to fourth graders or four-year-olds, but we can explore this throughout our whole lives. And it's helpful to remember that there's a beginning and a middle and an end. And even the author here reduces the Bible's story in simple terms to that old covenant and the new covenant. Now, it's not so simple we were to zoom out to divide the Bible that way, there is more texture. For the old covenant he refers to here is that covenant made with Israel through Moses at Sinai, that mountain. He delivered his people Israel from bondage to Egypt. He delivered them to a mountain in order that they might serve him, and he gave them his word. And that word was a good word. It was full of commandments that were for their good to instruct them as to how to relate with him. And he already was a God who redeemed them. For that law was not, was not essentially legalistic, but was founded on grace. Nevertheless, it was full of laws and required obedience for the maintenance of that relationship. But God delivered them by his grace through the waters. And then after having delivered them by his grace, he established covenant with them at that mountain. But even that covenant was in service to, in fulfillment of, 
in the progress of the covenant that God had made with Abraham and his children prior. And even that covenant with Abraham was derivative of God's larger purposes, even covenant with creation and for humanity. But for our purposes this morning, this first and second refer to that covenant made with Israel at Sinai and that new covenant that makes that covenant, verse 13, obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. And we'll see that it's not that the old covenant is bad and the new good, as if darkness compared to light. The old covenant more like the moon reflecting the light of the sun, but in comparison to the sun, oh, it's no light at all, even if it points us to the sun. But what is the point of Christianity? Well, it is that it is captured in this language of a new covenant and the promises that are involved in this new covenant. The Bible is a book that progresses. It's truly a progressive religion in, in the best in biblical sense progressing ever toward the Lord and the person who trusts by faith in its message toward God by means of the good news. And covenant, what is covenant? But a relationship established on specific promises. A relationship established on specific promises. Now these are the things that we're exploring this morning. And in all of this, we are seeking to get the point of Christianity. His, his point that he's after is a little more narrow than that, and we will get to that before that we're in, we're done. But if we don't get the point of Christianity, of who Christ is and what that he came to do, we're vulnerable to missing the point. If you don't get it, if you don't focus on it, you miss it. And if you miss it for too long, you're vulnerable from drifting away from it and then drifting to turn against it. And so it is our, our labor every Lord's day as a church and mine as a preacher to remind you of these things that you might remind one another of these things. The blessings, the promises of the new covenant, the point of Christianity. Well, the first part we'll spend today will be in verses 1 through 7 and the second verses 8 through the end of the chapter. In the first part, we'll see the context for the new covenant, how the Bible progresses to lead us to the new covenant. And in the second part, the content of the new covenant, those promises identified with the new covenant. So first, let us reflect together on the meaning of copies and shadows and patterns. Copies and shadows and patterns. You see what he said here? It's in verse 5. They serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. When Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. This refers to the tent or the tabernacle, that tent of meeting that Moses was instructed to set up with the people that the people might meet with God through their priests. And he calls it a copy and a shadow, a pattern after something, something else. And those words help us get at the relationship of the old covenant and the new, help us understand what it is that Jesus came to do for us. Our family has movie nights on Friday nights. We're pretty religious about this and stubborn about it. We will watch a movie even if we have to start it late because it's time to just lay there and watch TV, you know? Um, it's been a hard week. We could play games. Sometimes we do that. Maybe we would enjoy games and one another more, but I kind of like just laying there. And we work hard to pick the right movie. Sometimes it takes too long to, to dig one up these days. But movie night, Friday night. Now, the other religious thing that I'm involved in uniquely on Friday night is falling asleep during one half of the movie. <laughs> so... Now, if I fall asleep during the first half of the movie, I wake up, and maybe this is the high point of the movie, maybe character development is underway, and this is what we've been waiting for, I can't tell. 
Uh, movie's a total waste of time for me. It was a bad movie as far as I'm concerned. And the only reason I expect that it might be even better than I thought is because there's a half of the movie I didn't see. Now, if I sleep through the second half of the movie, I'm in trouble similarly. Because I remember the first half, and I expect more. Clearly, that wasn't it. And I know that wasn't it because I'm seeing the credits, and it's a half an hour or an hour later when I wake up. Usually, it's for something smaller in between. But you get the idea. If I miss the second half of the movie, I miss the point of the movie. If I miss the first half of the movie, I might have watched the point unfold, but I have misunderstood it and misjudged it and misrepresented it. No, you have to be awake for the whole thing. And that's why we preach from the whole Bible here. And that's why the author of Hebrews is preaching from the Old Testament, even as he's saying the Old Covenant is obsolete. He's not saying the Old Testament or the Old Covenant itself is is not useful for us, but we're no longer under that Old Covenant. Nevertheless, we have to understand it if we are to know what it means that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. What does that mean? Well, as we grow together in our knowledge of the scriptures, week in, week out, and, and as we read it on our own, we grow to understand all that that means, and we will circle back around to it soon enough. What is this tent he speaks of, but the tent of meeting that the Lord set up The tent of meeting was a copy and a shadow of this true tent that the Lord set up, where Jesus is a minister in the holy places, the very presence of God. You see, the tent given to Moses was a copy and a shadow. It's patterned after reality. There's no need for us to make up connections. The Bible makes its own connections, obviously, Obviously enough, the priests with their garments and the, and the curtains with the cherubim guarding the way into the presence of God, reminding us of the cherubim guarding the way back to Eden. This is the way in, and once a year a high priest can go. And there's a table with bread in there signifying God's intention to fellowship with us. All kinds of symbolic things going on. God is telling us through symbols, I will literally and entirely and without obstacle, without curtains, fellowship with you one day. See, when you look at a copy of something, you kind of know it's a copy. When you look at something that's been copied too many times, you can't even read it necessarily. Well, this is a good copy. But it's a copy, and you could tell. Like, just like you can tell a shadow is a shadow. I never mistake a shadow for a person, but when I look at a shadow, I know there's a person. And I can kind of see the outline of the person in the shadow. I can see them getting closer. Shadows are a great help in that way. They provide an outline, an indication, a heads up. They create anticipation. We don't trust in the shadows, do we? My son, Britton, he's too young for me to ask him if I can use him in an illustration, so I'll have to decide when that starts, but it hasn't started yet. He's playing with this little red truck. It says Grave Digger on it. You know what the Grave Digger is? The Grave Digger is a monster truck. and He knows what monster trucks are, and he's been talking about them for as long as he's been talking. Cars and trucks and monster trucks. So he plays with these things or the big ones with the big, the big wheels. Well, it was just a few weeks ago I overheard a colleague talking about going to Monster Jam and I thought, I have to be a good dad this time and remember before the event to go. So I made arrangements and took my son Britton and Carson and we went to Monster Jam. And uh, we were advised we need hearing protection and all of that. I was planning on putting the stuff over his ears and in mine when we got into our seats, but no, it was needed before that. We were in the stadium and looking through the, the aisle to where the seats were, and the roar came through, and his eyes popped out of his head, and I'm not positive he enjoyed it. <laughs> he, he, uh, he told his mom when he got home, I was scared. They were scary. They were loud. So we'll build on that experience. 
but the little truck, the little grave digger truck. It's not digging any graves. It's a, it's, a, it's a nice name for a monster truck, right? Because it spins the wheels and digs graves. I guess that's it. Or runs over you and kills you and then digs your grave and puts you in it. <laughs> but the little truck he's got, it's not doing any of that. It doesn't have any insides, you see. There's nothing in it. It's just a copy. It's just a shadow. And I don't want to look at the little truck he's got and say it's bad, don't enjoy it, don't, don't tend to it, don't give your attention to it. Uh, but it's not quite right to say it's the real thing. It certainly can't dig your grave or, or kill your brother or sister if you're in a bad mood. Uh, it can't do any of that stuff. It's just a copy. It's just a shadow. It's a pattern. And, it, and he had an idea of what this was before he made his way into the stadium. So did I. I had the idea from watching commercials my whole life. I watched these commercials of these big trucks doing flips and all of that. So that's another example of a pattern or a copy of a shadow is, is a commercial. Well, a commercial is meant to lead you to the thing. The commercial is not the thing, Right? And so in this way, the old covenant made with Israel at Sinai, with all of its commandments, is but a copy and a shadow of what was to come. And it's there to create anticipation. We go two, two, two wrong ways with our Old Testament and Old Covenant, often enough. We may either dismiss it and disregard it, you may be confused by something back there and say, oh, well, it's just the Old Testament not needed for me. Uh, we're, we're Christians. Or may make, uh, or, uh, or if we aren't dismissive of it and uninterested in it, then we might obsess over it, which betrays a kind of boredom with the good news that it pointed to. Maybe we've been around the Bible and preaching our whole life and we discover all of this interesting stuff in the Old Testament. Well, it's not there because it's interesting stuff. It's there as, as a roadway. It paves the way for the coming of the Messiah. Who has come? He is the point. So in all of our exploration and enjoyment of the Old Testament, and Old Covenant in particular, in study, we are looking to know Christ better as we look to it. For look right here, verse 7. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion, here it is, to look for a second Look for a second. Well, he quotes Jeremiah 31 now to prove that the Old Covenant, Old Testament prophets were promising a new covenant to come. He quotes Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It's not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the way when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. They did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. You see, there were promises that God made in that covenant, but in that old covenant with Moses and Israel, there were promises of blessing and promises of cursing. And if they were to keep God's word, they would realize his blessing. And if they uh, turned from him and denied him and forsook him, uh, they would receive cursing. And so they did. It, it didn't, in that sense, this covenant, this old covenant didn't work. It's like the car doesn't work. It couldn't do the whole thing, couldn't get the whole job done. And it was never fully intended to do that. The days are coming when I will establish a new covenant. It's not like the one I made. I took them out of the hand. He tenderly led them. As on the wings with eagles, he was a tender, loving, leading shepherd father for them. But in that covenant established with them at Sinai, they did not continue in it. And so I showed no concern for them. In other words, the blessings and the cursings. He, he, he saved them. He gave them his law. They forsook him, did not love him, did not regard his word or care about him and forgot him. And so precisely what he promised happened, and they were exiled out of the land and away from his presence. In the book of Hosea, a different prophet, 
That prophet will portray the relationship between God and his people as that of a husband with a bride. And the Lord knows what it's like to be forsaken. Do you know what it's like to be forsaken? I don't wish that on anybody in marriage. But it can be said that the Lord knows what that is like to be forsaken by a spouse to whom he has given his life and love. And divorce followed. A certificate of divorce was offered to Israel. This closeness of relationship is what the Lord sought, but that old covenant couldn't change Israel. (laughs) She still had sin in her heart. Humans, you and I, come with sin baked in. It's It's an operating principle all the way down. Our default setting is to reject our Lord. And so Israel and her relationship with the Lord, even though he lovingly delivered her from slavery, even though he gave him his good word, rejected her Lord over and over again, worshiping other gods and forsaking the one true and living God. And so she would be exiled, cursed. The Lord would show no concern for them, declares the Lord. That's what's behind that passage. Well, let's move now from talking about copies and shadows and patterns, which are good but deficient. And in that sense, there is fault found with them. Let's move from from those onto new covenant realities. New covenant realities. New covenant promises that are as good as sure. We can call them new covenant realities. What is the point of Christianity? Is it Is it possible that there can be such a thing as real change in your life? How you think and how you feel and how you act and what you want. Real deep change. And and not the kind that's good for a week or a month, but for ever. Is Is it possible that you and I can have a real relationship with God? where we're really known and where we really know him and we're really on good speaking terms and we're talking continuously and we love each other. Is that possible? Is it possible that there really could be a true community of people who love one another from the heart, who forgive each other, who are tender with one another, who bear with one another in love because we sin against each other still? Not talking about a perfect community in this age, but a true community? Is it possible that you and I could know the freedom from our guilt and our shame? Because I feel that, and we feel that, and we need an answer to that. The things that we've done and the things that we've thought, the words that we've said, the deeds that we've committed, uh, we are sinful people. Uh, That is the Bible's clear word to us. Is there an answer for the guilt and the shame that we feel? The guilt and the shame that led Adam to go hide from the Lord God in the garden who had given him everything to enjoy. Eaten from that tree and taken the lead of Eve. And now at the sound of the Lord, he hides. What a sad and tragic moment that is. And so it's all of us hiding behind the fig leaves of our projected good works and the face that we project. And if we aren't projecting ourselves to be better than we are, then we've given up hope and are depressed about our spiritual plight. Is there a way out of this guilt and this this shame? Well, the answer is yes. I find it interesting that he begins the chapter with, now the point of what we're saying is, and we get a whole chapter, like, oh no man, you're supposed to put it in a sentence. Because that's what I say to people. Can you put that in a sentence for me? I mean, help me out. It's not you, it's me. But sometimes it's you. Uh, you know, hey, I'm a verbal processor. It takes me a while to find my way, and then I'm, okay, I think I've got something there, and then I can, I can land it, and then I can say it. And you can ask me to cut to the chase. Well, he doesn't seem to do that. Now, the point of what we're saying is, is this, and this whole section really does hang together. And he quotes half of it as a big quote from the Old Testament. This is the longest Old Testament quote in the New Testament. The New Testament is constantly quoting the Old. But usually, shorthand for larger sections. And he could have done that here. 
could have given us a sentence or two, and then I would do the work of expanding on that for you to show this, but he puts it right there. It must be really important that we hear all of this exactly from Jeremiah. It must really make his point, and that must be why it's there. But even the point, grounded as it is in this promise, seems to have multiple points to it. I will, I will, I will, I will. These are the better promises of that new and better covenant that the old was looking forward to. This is it. And we need all of them. It's not just one. If you have to put it in one, it's I promise a new covenant. But that new covenant entails these four things. And I want us to reflect briefly on each of these four promises of the new covenant. The first promise of the new covenant is that of inward change that lasts. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts. Everyone seems to agree everywhere, in all time, that something needs to change with people. Now, it's usually those other people. What, what we do not agree on, humanity, is where the problem is, what needs to change, and into what, and by what means. But everyone agrees that change is needed. These days, it seems that Change by means of state coercion is in, or corporate coercion, a cancel culture on the rise. Virtue signaling is a function of that. Everyone needs to know the rules for what to say, to how to be on the right side of the spirit of the age. It's a less safe place to be. Find ourselves pressured to express external acts, words, statements that we might be understood as right or changed. These days in the NFL and the NBA, increasingly you have coaches and staff wearing the same Jackets and shirts with the same slogan. Everyone is making sure they're on the right side of things, saying the right thing. The, the special thing about Christianity, this new covenant, is that it works in an opposite fashion than every other religion and every other method for changing people. Here's what God says he'll do. I'll put my laws into, it's into their minds and write them on their hearts. This book offers to you and to me through Jesus and by the Spirit of God real and lasting change that is inward. The prophet Ezekiel speaks about this as well in different terms and with different imagery, but it's the same promise that I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you, here's what that looks like then, to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Those who are in the new covenant, transformed by this God who makes this covenant, and fulfills these promises, are really different all the way down. Now, there will come a day when we aren't tempted to sin and when we do not sin, but just as our new friend Justin said last week in preaching the word, we may sin in this way or that, but we are not, as a function of our identity, sinners, drunkards, gluttons, murderers, etc., which means be encouraged while when you came to Christ by faith, 
You came to him out of desperation, and this is the invitation for us all, saying, God, I can't. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. Save me. And part of that saving that God does is not just the forgiveness of sins, which we'll get to, but it is the giving of a new heart. In fact, the day you say, God, save me from your heart, he has already done it. Inward change that lasts. Isn't that what we want? At Harvard, there is a recent chart that was offered to me. It shows that in 18... Oh, I did not write it down for myself, for you. 18-something, over 100 years ago, the average GPA at Harvard was 2.5. The average GPA in 2022 is 3.8. Now, we've either been getting smarter or our perception of ourselves has been changing. And the market, that is, the students that pay the bills and come, is expecting higher grades because they perceive themselves to be smarter than previous generations. And the, the word is that 10 years from now, it'll just be 4.0s at Harvard on this track. Oh, that's, that's an external change. That's a, to oversimplify all that may have gone on there, it's just a matter of changing what's written down. So much changes from the outside in. But the change promised by the new covenant is from the inside out. And this is even expected in the old covenant. For in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses himself, having given the old covenant for Israel, says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and that you may live. And this came at a moment of some kind of exasperation and a prediction that they would actually not keep the covenant, that they would not obey and be blessed, but disobey and be cursed. And right even there at the end of that fifth book of the Bible, we have a promise that something else will have to come one day. And so Jeremiah tells us what that something else is, and Jesus brings it. It involves the circumcision of the heart, heart surgery, in other words. Heart surgery. Let's move on to the second promise, the second blessing of the new covenant is true communion with God. True communion with God. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will be their God and they shall be my people. The God of heaven who invites us here this morning to sit under his word, and yes, calls us to obey him, does not do that because he needs little workers or little servants. It's a pleasure to serve and to worship him. But we aren't mere cogs in his cosmic wheel. We are for him. And so Christianity is more than just about getting right or even having purpose. It is about being right with God through the good news of Jesus. Having a relationship with God where we are known and where we know him and where we walk with him because he is with us. And so he is with you if you're within, with Christ. And that's precisely why the imagery of marriage is picked up in our Bibles. As that which God is pursuing with his people. And the inward change that he pursues in us and grants to us is unto a real love and obedience to him. Not a rote or merely external obedience, but an inward love for God and trust in his good word. And he has given that ability and capacity to you and me because he's given us new hearts and he's given us his spirit. Praise God for that. And the purpose of all that obedience he makes possible by his grace is that we might truly commune with him, that we might know him, that it might be so that we are his people and he is our God. I pray that's true for you today. In Old Testament, Israel, they had the tent 
And there was something of a real relationship as the high priest went in and the Lord really showed up. There really was fire that came and consumed the offerings, remember? Oh, but that was just, if, you would, if we could put it this way, the moon as to the sun. It was real light, real grace, but not enough and not the real thing. And you and I, by the Spirit, because of Jesus, have the real thing. It is ours, true communion with God. And he has helped us to know it by the bread and the cup this morning. To remember it, to grow in our faith that it really is true, and to believe in his promises all the more. We'll talk about that and enjoy it briefly. A third promise and blessing is that of a regenerate community. Verse 11, And they shall not teach each, his, each one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Now, what does this mean? Under the old covenant with Israel through Moses, circumcision as the sign of entry into the covenant and the Passover as that sign of ongoing fellowship in the context of the covenant, there were those in that covenant who truly believed in the Lord and trusted his promises. And there were those who did not. For you were born into the covenant and you were marked with the sign. And that covenant community was more than a mere religious people, but a theocracy. It was a nation state with a king even. The new covenant is different. In the new covenant, we don't say to each other, hey, unbeliever, know the Lord. We say, brother, sister, praise God, we know the Lord. This covenant is a rege- makes a regenerate community. This blood of the covenant, this cross and resurrection is effective to save all those to whom it is applied. And so in the church, we do not understand the church to be a mixed community of those who are born into the new covenant then to be evangelized, but we understand even children to be born into families that are Christian and taught the gospel, then to be evangelized and to believe by faith, then one day to receive the signs of the new covenant, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which signify their union with Jesus and with us. But everyone in the church, even if we may get it wrong with the signs from time to time, the church is constituted, itself constituted, as a regenerate community. Everyone in this new covenant community, under this blood, has a new heart, has the law written on their minds, and truly knows the Lord. And he moves from the I will to they shall, they shall be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, know the Lord. Oh, we each want to know the Lord better and remind ourselves to do that, but this is not what he's talking about. And so as a local church here, we seek to represent and reflect and and portray this very thing. We are a regenerate community, a people that knows the Lord. And we are not like Israel, a mixed community with believers and unbelievers, but we all, all ourselves gathered around this table, this bread and this cup, know the Lord even as we profess him. It's a regenerate community. And fourth, the basis for all of this, and so importantly, the full forgiveness of sins. Yes, there is an answer to our shame and our guilt. Verse 12, I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And that's different than the old covenant where you had partial forgiveness, different kinds of forgiveness, and it would only last so long, and every year the high priest had to go back into the Holy of Holies. No, this is total forgiveness of your sins. You have more than that in the new covenant, but you have that. And without that, you can't have any of the rest of this. All these things go together. What is the point of Christianity? What is captured in the new covenant? The location of its work is inward to outward. The purpose of it is a relationship with our God, which creates a regenerate community, a people that know him and worship him. 
And all of this is on the basis of the full forgiveness of sins which is ours. So let us be a people that does not miss the point by drifting from the point, but focuses on the point. And not because the rest of the Bible or everything God calls us to is not important, but because all of that leads to and flows from and is focused in the good news of Jesus. These four promises, you could do a lot worse than committing these to memory. In fact, commit that whole passage to memory. It's the longest quote in the New Testament. It's not even that long. And we need these promises if we are to hold fast. Hold fast to who? To hold fast to our high priest. Because how is it that we may lay hold of these promises? How is it that any of these things can be true for you and for me? Well, back to his narrow point for his specific purpose in this book. Now, the point in what we are saying is this, that we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. He is a high priest who does not stand daily because he keeps sacrificing for our sins, but who is seated because he's good and done with that. And he is seated because he is ruling over us with his word. And we're actually a people who can hear his word and respond with life and with love toward God. He is seated and he is ministering even now, interceding for us that our obedience and faith and love might be possible. Well, let's pray to him now. Father, we thank you for the new covenant and for the blessings of the new covenant, the promises of the new covenant. You have, through this book, assured us that you're a God who keeps your word and your promises. You make oaths and you keep them. And here we have heard and reflected on the content of those promises. Help us to remember what you have promised. Help us to conceive of your work through Jesus for us as all of this together because we need real life change and we need a relationship with you and we need each other and we need, as the basis for all of this, the forgiveness of sins. You are a God who does all of this and you are a God who has done all of this. You are, through Jesus, a sun for us, no moon and no darkness in our hearts having come to faith but you have shown the light of your face and the glory of the face of Jesus to us, and we have believed. Strengthen us now to believe all the more as we share at the table in communion with you and one another. In Christ's name we pray, amen.